Real Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Hey loves, it's Grace Redmond. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Real Talk, where I have the privilege of connecting with amazing people from my circles and communities who have created amazing and overcome challenges. And today I'm super excited to be here with Crystal Nazal. Crystal is a Palestinian woman born and raised in San Francisco. Crystal began her career in business, but after working overseas, her innate curiosity of the human condition grew, eventually leading her to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology. Crystal has translated this education to serve in many capacities. Currently, she works in higher education while also serving as a speaker, trainer, and equity and inclusion consultant. Above all, Crystal sees herself as a humanist with an endless well of optimism and a deep desire to see people connect to their unlimited capacities to flourish and thrive in all areas of their life. Crystal! <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you today. Oh, I'm pumped as well. <laughs> because, you know, you and I always go off on tangents and we have like these really amazing, deep, raw conversations. So I'm excited to see um, what comes out of today with us here. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> So something that I, I wanted to touch on with you first, because I admire this about um, others when they, like you had a career, you know, in corporate, a great career, and you made that decision to step out of the box and do something different. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can imagine, I can just imagine kind of the fear that comes with that. So can you tell us a little bit, like what motivated you to leave this incredible, you know, corporate career, which, you know, we're raised, like you have to, you know, go to school, go to college, mm -hmm. you have to go, you know, in corporate. What made you pivot? What was the motivating factor? Uh, I think I can have a long and short answer. Uh, maybe I'll go with a longer one. Uh, I think since I was young, you know, in your intro, you mentioned the word curiosity. And that's always been my nature. I'm just this very curious human being, really interested in why things are done the way they are, uh, why people act or react the way they do. And, you know, overlay that with being Palestinian, um, sort of really trying to kind of see things from a cultural prism and recognizing sort of the things that I was learning inside my home weren't necessarily in alignment with the things that I was witnessing outside my home. Mm -hmm. So I just, that curiosity for me just grew over time. And I went to a high school that really promoted the idea of being a person for others. Um, so when I went into college, I had that in mind, yet you, you are right. And in, in a lot of ways, I'm first generation college student and there were seemingly limited and that's an interesting word but it in my mind there were limited options of what I can do you know, doctor you. yeah I'm sorry no I hear you when you said there was limited possibilities in your mind of what you mm -hmm. can do 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so for me, it was like, okay, doctor, lawyer, or, you know, go into business. Right. And so I opted for the business piece and I ended up doing international business and yeah, getting into a multinational corporation, which was phenomenal. And I, to this day, have such great friends from that experience. I was able to work overseas, which was something unheard of, um, which I was able to do as well. Uh, but there was something gnawing at me, mm. gnawing at me. I could not explain it. Mm. I've heard that before when I've connected with some of my other guests, guests who kind of made a switch. They always say there's this gnawing. And I experienced that myself too. Just that gnawing feeling. Like there's something more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was really uncomfortable. Um, but it was also, I could have suppressed it. Right. I mean, to a point, right? But I could have just ignored it. You know, I'm like, hey, like this is a great like trajectory that I'm on. This is what everyone tells me I should be on. Um, and then also sort of when I, it, it started to get a little bit more difficult for me to manage. Like I pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And I probably could have pushed it some more, but I knew inevitably that I would be miserable if I wasn't listening mm. to what it was saying to me. That goes back to the, intu the intuition, that gut. Mm -hmm. And I've learned the hard way. I don't know if you can relate to this, that when we have, we hear it, we feel it. It's like something, in, like you said, it's like that gnawing. And when we ignore it, like I call it, it's like a cosmic two by four comes to wake you up, to push you out of initially as a safe and comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially if we think of sort of the overlay at the time of the expectation of where I was at, I was 27 years old and I'm trying to make a shift number one in my career but that was going on a path that would set me back uh in comparison to where uh, the traditional route you're supposed to go right my what do you mean set you back like explain that what would set what set you back in what way so the priority at that point for let's just say my grandmother and I were very 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 close and she didn't understand why I was making a decision to do a program that would take half a decade at minimum. And then I had to do a, a postdoc and the whole licensing bit, it, it was gonna take me a long time. And at that point she thought the priority should be, oh, just go to church, find a husband, let him take care of you. That was her <laughs> mentality, right? That was the mentality in my home when I was growing up. So although my family's educated, like my great, my grandfather, my uncle's aunt, like they are all my dad, but they didn't instill that on me. What they instilled in me was you better find a man <laughs> to take care of you, get married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. And you can do other things as Absolutely. well. You can have all, any, all of it, right? Totally. It's this and that. It doesn't have to be this or that. Yes. yes. And it's whatever each person chooses. So if, if if I choose to go to college and have a career, that's great. If I, you know, fall in love and I choose to get married young and that's great. I don't think there's one way where mm -hmm. I feel like when we grew up, there was just one way. I don't believe there's one way. I feel like mm -hmm. there's different ways for each person. And I think that's what makes us suffer is when we don't realize that there's a multitude of ways and we just mm -hmm. stay really stuck on one path and that path alone. And so that's part of the limitations, right? And, and yeah, and so it's just, it was difficult though, cause it wasn't modeled. I'm like, all right, here I am on this like <laughs> new path <laughs> and I don't really know anyone that's done this. And so, but that gnawing sensation that I talked about once I went on that path, 
never felt it again, mm. ever. And what comes up, what just came up was when you're being true to yourself, they always talk about, or, or not they, but what's talked about is being true to yourself. And I used to ask, what does that mean? Well, I feel like you just gave us an example. You heard that gnawing feeling and you chose yourself. And that's a great example of being true to who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's not just self. I think whatever is resonant in anyone is a calling that they have, yes, to honor their themselves, but also to honor the, the world in which they exist, because the world will benefit from them following what is calling at them, right? Amen. I totally believe that. I absolutely believe that. I believe that when we show up as our best selves and we follow um, our, you know, intuition or, or our gifts, we're serving the world. Because then, like, you know, Crystal, you're setting the example for the next person who may be feeling stuck where they are, you telling your story right here inspires them to take a step out and know that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be okay when you're truly following what, you know, that deeper calling is leading you to. It, the path is rough. The path mm -hmm. is scary. The path is unknown. And yet, you know, you have to think about it. Is it, is, kind of what's going to be harder on you is, is taking the path that is calling you or staying on the path that everyone else is on. Right. Mm, oh, 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 what's, what is that saying? Um, I don't even, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the person's name, but it's scarier to stay t in the tight bud than it is to, to, to flourish. But so many of us stay there because it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's scary to make those um, leaps and society, like you said, puts limitations. So how do we unlearn those messages, society's messages? I know that's a big question, but yeah. what's one way that we can just kick that in the booty? <laughs> <laughs> I did just say that. Love it. Love it. We should be kicking it in the booty. I <laughs> I think that's, you know, I had a, a, a milestone birthday this past year. And one thing that I sort of said to myself, and I sort of made a video for my, my friends and family. And I said, you know, I'm sort of pressing the reset button. And now I'm entering the stage of the great unlearn. Mm. And for me, what that means is essentially you know, we're born into a world that is already defined for us. And that sort of definite, those definitions get imposed on us. And we start to believe that sort of where this, all our identities are supposed to be sort of managed in a certain way, right? Whatever, whatever, your gender, your ethnicity, your age, whatever, there's always some sort of predefined notion of what you're supposed to be like related to those identities. And again, that's limiting right? Yeah. It's very limiting um, and can really sort of play a number on us uh, because if we're not exactly fitting or we're not doing things the way we, we think society wants of us, it can really make us question ourselves and make us feel insecure. And, you know, also let alone, like we start to limit our own nature. Mm -hmm. and I, I, I experienced that, you know, it was depressing, you know, when you're feel like you're not meeting the expectation or you're supposed to be this way and you're not, which most of us are not, 
uh, I went into a state of depression, you know, as a teen and I never felt comfortable. I never felt like a fit in. I always felt isolated when in reality I was just fine, but it was those messages, Mm -hmm. you know, that were, um, there was no right or wrong, really. It was just, it was conditioning. And I listened to those messages and it made me very depressed. So I, I missed out on a lot of joy because I was focusing on those messages that were limiting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, th- the truth is, is this, this is everyone's experience. We just don't talk about it, right? That's yes. why we're here, sister. <laughs> we're all feeling. We're putting it on the table. <laughs> like, it's just being authentic. And I, I think that's the problem with our society. It's like, we cannot limit, we're, we're trying, you know, society tries to put these socially constructed notions of who we should be onto us. And then we try to comply, but we can't comply because it's the antithesis of who we are. We're so much more. And yet none of us are talking about that state of like, that like, oh my God, I'm fearful to be all that I am. And yet we're all dying to do just that. I want to talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You know, I, like you said, fearful to be who I am, because if I'm really who I am, am I going to be liked? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be accepted? Yeah, like it's the same thing, like in psychology, you know, we sort of the the general model of like what leads to people's mental health, mental well-being uh, or or the opposite, right, is like, you know, we, we have a biopsychosocial model and that social component, because we're so interconnected, we all have various needs for social interaction, but bottom line is we are social creatures. Absolutely. So if you go out on a limb and you try to do something different than what everyone else is doing, it's like, am I going to be rejected? Right, the rejection, and we want to belong. So then if we're rejected and then we feel like we don't belong, our ego gets activated and we go in a state of fight or flight. And then that's where, yeah, you know, the depression, the anxiety um, comes in because we are, um, what's not isolated from the tribe, but what's that word, you know, when they kick you out? um, Oh, like excommunicated uh, or- Yeah, whatever, rejected. whatever the word is, I think you know what I'm saying. And like, who wants to be, you know, kicked out of your tribe, mm-hmm. your circle, your community. Mm-hmm. 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 And underneath all that, however, when we love ourselves and we know our worth, we're really never kicked out. It's just a, our perception. It's our perception. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I always have been in so many different spaces, right? Um, you know, whether it's, amongst the Palestinian community that we grew up in, whether it's, you know, in sort of my education circles, my professional circles, my friend circles. And I I used to think, gosh, I never really fully belong anywhere, right? And then I realized, you know, if you're rooted in yourself, you belong to yourself. And you, you carry that in every space that you are, you know, I may not be the prototypical image of what belongs in any of these circles, but I'm, I'm, I belong to me, right? And I'm connected to me. And in that, that's the only place that really matters. Absolutely. And when we're connected to ourselves, we naturally emanate I, I'm just love, like when we're connected to ourselves and we have, you know, we love ourselves, we naturally emanate love and we're going to fit in anywhere we go now not everyone's going to like us and that's okay like we're not going to vibe with everybody um 
but regardless of where you go, it could be in any circle. When you love yourself and you're coming from a place of love, you're naturally going to connect with whoever it is in, in any circle you go in. Yes. And that's the thing. Like love for me is sort of that guiding force of almost everything that I do. Almost everything that I do. I do have sort of this idea of when I was a little girl, um, and I've told you this before, and I'm just going to say it here. There, I, I was a little girl looking up to all of these like older aunties, right? Just observing. And, and your mom really like is one of those images I have lodged in my memory, right? Emanating love, emanating love, right? And that, that warmth. And I remember thinking, well, if I'm going to be grow up, I want to grow up to be that, that like older auntie that emanates love and shows love to the world. As I've gotten older though, I, I realize that there is, there's the love you emanate to others. And then there's the love you also need to give to yourself. Right. Yes. It's, it's kind of a two way street. Yes, yes, yes. And, and there's yes. so much sacrifice. A lot of these older aunties did right. Like at, at sacrificing themselves for, for others, but, but there's a way to do both. Absolutely. And what I, what I saw was the martyr. Mm you know, in, in my home and God bless my mom. And I know she gives me permission to speak <laughs> about this um, is, our, you know, our identity or I learned that my identity was attached to how much I did for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that, you know, from mom and, and Teta because that's what they learned. So, but they could never feel the I don't want to speak for them, but for myself being like taking on the martyr mentality and always having to give to feel worthy, it drained me and made me exhausted. And I, I was giving because I'm a giving and loving person. But in reality, I was giving because I wanted you to, to like me. I wanted to be accepted, which that doesn't work. I have to love and accept myself. So I had to unlearn that. I had to learn, okay, Grace, you have to love yourself. Yes, I can still give, but am I giving from a place of I just want to give, or am I giving from a place of, I want you to like me. I want something in return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where that martyr thing came. And it's just, it's a recipe for exhaustion and depletion. A thousand percent. And sort of circling back to our conversation about the unlearn, I would say I'm the same boat, right? It, there is this piece of like, we all have this longing and desire, like you said, to belong, to be loved. And I think sort of that model was, okay, well, if I do all these things, that's a way of expressing love, right? But oftentimes to your detriment. And right. so that, that's part of my own unlearning experience as well as I am a giver. I give, and I give people in, in, in a multitude of ways. Um, you know, I am that person that like cooks for my family and, and does all that thing and make sure everyone's birthday is taken care of and make sure people feel loved and make sure I check on people who aren't doing so well. And, and these are all beautiful things, right? Yeah. It, like I love them about myself. And I also know that um, sort of, I also give people who hurt me way too much benefit of the doubt. And I give in ways that are reciprocated and I give and, you know, and so there's so many different forms. Giving is a beautiful thing and it could also be a detrimental thing. hundred so percent. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning mm -hmm. um, because I was an overgiver because I wanted to be loved and accepted, you know? Uh, and so I gave to my detriment mm -hmm. and I can still do that. And sometimes I'm aware of it and I choose to do it for whatever reason it may be. 
And I'm still, you know, work in progress because I also know that if I'm giving too much, I'm going to get resentful and it, it, it's not, it's no longer going to be from a place of love mm-hmm. for myself or the other person. hundred percent. And I'm in the same boat. I'm still learning how to unlearn, <laughs> like relearn in a way that honors myself and honors my, my nature to be a giver and to be loving. Right. Like how, how do you honor both? And that's what I'm, I'm contending with. And, you know, you asked me the question about like, how do you even start that journey? I think part of the, part of the journey is recognizing that there are certain messages that we have unconsciously taken in. Oh yeah that we need to work on deconstructing and then identifying parts of the message that may or may not work for us and adding in components that will, right? Absolutely. I love that. I love that because, you know, the messages served a purpose for our benefit Mm -hmm. until they no longer served our purpose. Now we can take those messages and um, like I said, reconstruct them to benefit us. Cause I think there are so many incredible messages or what the, what we, the messages wanted to give to us, I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now how can we recreate those messages in a more empowering way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think, you know, one of the first step, like one of the first steps to anything is just taking a step back, right? We have the ability as humans, um, it's called metacognition, right? So we, and sort of, if you look at the mammal, uh, like how mammals work, like, like human beings, this is sort of what separates us is we have the ability to step back and think about what we're thinking about, right? Awareness. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so being aware and you know, is, you know, part of, is the metacognitive process. It's like thinking about what we are thinking and then really asking ourselves why, and does that thought work towards my evolution or my stagnation? Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes we can answer that by how we feel in the body. Mm. Yes. Cause our body knows everything. And so, like you said, that awareness, I really truly believe that the awareness is key. Once you're aware and your mind's like, huh, wait a second, this might not be true. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's where it just starts right there. Mm-hmm. At least for me, when I'm aware, I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I know why I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm aware of it now. Yeah. I was overgiving because I want to belong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think if we got in the habit of doing that more often, right? Where we, and, and, and I think the body, I'm just starting to realize for me, I, things have come up, but I've ignored them. Things have come up and I've ignored them, but you know, the body is wiser than we think it is. Oh girl. <laughs> yes. I mean, I remember when, you know, I was in the thick of the stress and the overgiving and the codependency and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a recovering everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So when I'm in the middle of that codependency and stress and victim, and I was always, you know, not sick with a cold, but it was either my back mm-hmm. or my stomach or my head or my hands. Like there was always a physical ailment because I was internalizing everything, trying to find peace outside of myself. And so it came out in every way in my body. hmm hmm now I barely have physical, you know, symptoms because I'm working on, you know, my, my mind and my soul. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have something in psychology called somatization in which yep. you, your un, sort of processed emotions get lodged in the body. That's right. And so, I mean, you can have something lodged in the body from decades ago that just kind of festers, festers and eventually manifests into some sort of physical ailment when really in, in actuality, it came from an emotional source, right? So paying attention to our body and what comes up and being able to recognize and attune and to be aware and, and, and process through those things. And I think people are fearful of emotions. Like we have a phobia regarding emotions, difficult emotions, challenging emotions. They're just emotions. Like we, we like to label them. Emotions, I think, are your GPS to life. Right? Amen. Their GPS is it, setting you, like if you, we really attune to it, it's going to take you down the path you're supposed to be on. Yes. But yet it's, this is, this is us all the time. Like, no, right. No, it's you're scary. scared, you know, run. <laughs> well, not only that, is it scary, but here's another thing that came up. We were not allowed to show emotion. Mm. So, you know, as a child, you know, you know, don't cry and what's wrong with you. You're too sensitive. Mm. Um, even when I was in my thirties and my mom had just passed away, I just delivered Rami, my youngest son, and I was experiencing extreme, extreme depression. Mm. And I went to two different people and, you know, close to me, adults. And I said, this is how I'm feeling. They said, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> Just keep going. I'm like, holy shit. I feel like I'm fucking dying here. Yeah. yeah. So we weren't allowed to show, you know, the, the negative. We have, we, there's going to be, we have, we need a contrast. We're going to have negative emotion and positive emotion. We mm -hmm. were not allowed to show the negative. We always had to show up with a smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I will say Palestinian culture is interesting, right? Because I, I think about it in a lot of different ways. Um, but we're, you know, sort of one of the layers that I don't think we talk enough about is that, you know, there's, there's a high level of trauma within the community. And in that, when you're traumatized, it's sort of like you, in your mind, have no way to, you, you have to keep moving, you have to keep moving, you have to keep going, because if you sit with this, who knows what could come about, right? So part of me, I'm not saying it's, it's entirely defines how we kind of be, what you're describing, but I think that's one layer of why there's that attitude of like, just keep going, keep moving, you, you know, plow through, right? Because in, in, in sort of through the intergenerational trauma, that's what people have to do. You have to survive, right? right? And I did. Yeah. Until I couldn't do it anymore. Exactly. And I remember my therapist, um, when I went back, she, she was my therapist for 25 years. So I go back one day and, and I tell her the same freaking story. And she yeah. said, Grace, you have a decision to make. You're going to either die like your mom or you can save yourself. And mm -hmm. that was the turning point, um, for me. And that was where like, okay, I, I don't want to die when I'm 50 and I had to do some major, you know, healing because like you said, there, there's so much trauma there. Yes. And we can do the work to, it's not easy to start healing the trauma. And as we heal our trauma, we heal the generational trauma. Yes, exactly. We, we heal the generational trauma. We heal ourselves. And like, ultimately, like that's where, you know, if we get stuck, remember that, that story, right? Like I, I remember someone telling me, you know, if you're playing, uh, something could have happened 25 years ago, but you're replaying it every single day in your mind. It's like it just happened, but then it keeps you stuck, right? Keeps you stuck. It keeps okay. you stuck from experiencing what's present and not just what's present, 
you get stuck in not being able to see the possibilities, the limitless possibilities and potential that you can have for yourself when you're stuck, when those stories are, you're, you're stuck in that story, right? So what's one tool that you use when you find yourself stuck in one of those stories? Mm -hmm. What's one of the tools you use to help shift out of that mindset? I think what's useful for me is knowing that our brains are wired for storytelling anyways, mm -hmm. right? So I really try to be clear about, okay, what is the story I'm telling myself right now that's making me feel like crap because I feel like crap? And what's another way I could tell it that makes me feel not like crap, but makes me feel empowered? So you can take, you know, there's, there's a person that um, name uh, that sort of a Holocaust survivor that wrote, you know, man search for meaning, his name is Victor Frankl, and he sort of has this quote of between stimulus and response, there is space, right? So something can happen to you, right? Like the story can play out and someone can say something that triggers that story and wounds you even more, right? How you respond to it right? There, there's that space, there's that gap in between. So to me, that says there's so much choice yes. that we have. And e even if we can't control like all the stuff that's happened to us, we have a choice as to how we react, how we think about, how we respond. And so when I think about when I'm stuck in a story, right? Because all the, I, I can tell myself stories day in and day out and I can go into that mode. It's so... 80% of our thoughts are negative anyways as human beings. And there's a developmental reason why that is. But around 80, 80%, we have to train ourselves to recognize that there's other ways to exist that don't have to bring us down, that can uplift us. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love Dr. Joe Dispenza when he talks about rewiring the brain. Uh -huh. And it's true, we can rewire because you're right. We were, you know, 80% of our thoughts are negative as a survival mechanism. However, we can rewire our brain and the negative thoughts become habit, just as the negative thoughts become habit, our positive thoughts can, can become habit. Mm -hmm. So just constantly flipping, flipping the switch, creating another story, um, because more than 95% of the stories we tell ourselves are false. They're not even true. Mm -mm. And I love Byron Katie, because I use this a lot. She asks, you know, when a story comes up, you create a story, ask, is that true? Is it really true? Mm, I don't know. And that right there helps you shift the mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing. Like we don't practice, like, I think like it's this over, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, mindfulness, 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 but like legit, like people have been using mindfulness in like, like for thousands of years. And that's yeah. part of it is, is because you, like us as human beings can, if we don't give us ourselves space to really think and to be present, like, we'll just continue to go like, go like this, like clock, like robots, like keep moving. And, and then we don't, we're, we're not lending, we're not, the space gives us the opportunity to then make a choice that's different to what we would do if we were just like on automatic, right? On automatic. Yep. And usually when we're on automatic, we're not in a, in a, in a place where it's it, again, leading to our growth and our evolution. It's keeping us stuck. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at it as two ways for me. Am I coming from my ego 
from my higher self, like mm -hmm. my higher self, you know, knows I'm worthy. My higher self knows that um, I'm love. My higher self knows like I belong. My ego gets activated. And it's like, I'm not good enough. Do they like me? And when I have that space to take a moment to think, okay, am I coming from my ego or my higher awareness? It helps me get more grounded. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me, okay. And the ego serves its purpose. I don't want to get rid of the ego. The ego is there to help us too. So I make an effort for my higher self and my ego to work together mm -hmm. so I can make the best decision in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you just, when you think of kind of the higher self, I like, I, that I think also helps unstuck me sometimes. Yeah. Like I went to, I don't, did I go with you? Maybe I went with you, um, Liz Gilbert. Did we go together? Yes. <laughs> yes. Like there was this moment where she's like, you know, your soul did not come all this way for this, you know, for this crap. Right. Like, well, we, you know, it's like rem remembering that we're like, we have a limited time on this planet. Like whether that's scary to think about for all of us. But that's the reality. Yes. And I don't want to, I didn't want to live my life in martyr, victim, depressed, anxiety. Like I knew there was so much more. And I don't think I've ever told you this. You inviting me to that conference that weekend was a pivotal point in my life. It was a pivotal point in my coaching um, journey. No. Because that's where I connected with my incredible mentor, Sunny Don Johnson, and and um, the rest is fucking history. <laughs> we were just I mean, you that. inviting me to that conference has changed my life. Wow, you did not tell me that. No, because right now, as you you know reminded me of it, I was like that moment changed my life, and it connected me to the people I needed to be with to get to you know where I am and to where I'm going to continue to go. So I'm grateful. For for that crystal and that's how the universe brings takes us and brings us to where we're going through the angels on earth like you oh gosh i mean you're an angel on earth i mean i just got goosebumps throughout my body and it's interesting because when i saw that and I, I felt really really compelled to go and literally you were the first person that popped in my mind right you're the first person that popped in my mind because <laughs> i'm probably the only one i'm gonna go i'll go sure <laughs> I have, you know, wonderful, wonderful friends mm -hmm. with at different levels of their own development and growth and thinking about things. It's, so I have to say, like, there are, there are some choices, right? <laughs> no, you I know. The, you were the one that I just felt so strongly, like, I need to tell her. I and, I, and I appreciate that because I had some amazing um, experiences that weekend. Um, I remember I have a girlfriend uh, and, and you know her too, she would always talk to me about past lives. And I know my mom and aunts and all them, they were very into the spirituality and um, that was, you know, stuff that they would bring up. And I'm like, oh my God, please, you guys. Well, my friend would always talk about past lives and I was like, dude, please, okay, <laughs> whatever. Like I listened, but then when I was there at that conference, I went to um, a workshop with Denise Lynn and I had my own past life experience. I was like, holy cow, I'm open. I don't know, you know, if I believe this or not, but I just had an experience. So thank you for that. Um, there's just so many things that are mystical and I've learned to keep an open mind. Yeah, and I think that's the key. I mean, I think we're so quick to label things and to judge things like so quick, like, you know, I, for, for the longest time, I always felt very strongly about other pathways for healing other than 
medicine. You know, like at 20, my doctor was, I was like, my knee hurts. She's like, oh, it's just your heels. And I was like, no, like no one, my doctor's not helping me. And so I started going to an acupuncturist and then my, you know, oh, you have a lot of fire in your body. I'm like, what? I don't understand. But all I know is like my, my knee was feeling better. <laughs> it's like, right? I was just open to the possibilities of like there being other healing. And yes. I think in, in our society, again, it's one of those things where we socially construct like what's weird, what's weird, you know, what's weird, what's acceptable. And I think like, you know, just leaving yourself open to the possibilities of, of most things, you know, really can expand your life and give you more options. Had I just listened to my doctor and not sought out a different pathway to my, my healing, my physical healing, like, I don't know. I don't know what I've, I, I would have just been left with no answers for years. Right. But I, I took it upon myself to be open to, you know, a, a, a form of healing that not many people now it's, it's a big thing, but like back then it wasn't like a, a big thing. Right. So I just think that again, that's one of the other limita limitations that we put on ourselves is even when it comes to all the things in front of us, it's like we cast a net, like we judge. Oh, that's that's good. That's bad. That's this. That's that. It's like versus like mm, just be open. See see what the possibilities are and see what comes about. And it may or may not resonate with you. But why so quickly judge? Actually, I think judgment to me, if I think about the biggest part of spiritual my spiritual practice, right? For me, I. I come from, let, let's, if, if we're going to be realistic, every single culture has its set of judgments. Sure. We just happen to grow up in the Palestinian culture. So there are quite a bit of judgments based on like a, a, a perspective of how you should be, right? Which like beliefs. Yeah. Because if, if I don't meet your belief, then you're going to, it's, it's a judgment towards me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, I, and sort of, I really think about this strongly that for me, true spirituality, my true spiritual practice is again, that unlearning mm -hmm. of myself and of what others and who they, you know, of, of who they are. Right. It's like, I don't want to judge anyone. Right. I don't know. And this is what psychology has really, really taught me. It's so complicated to know why people do what they do. There's so many various factors. And if you actually got to know someone's like story, like yeah. you, you garner more understanding. And I think that's what we lack in society. It's like a quick fix of judgment and they're right, they're wrong. And that's it, you know? And right. it's like, the, like for me, my, my spiritual practice lies in the unlearning of judgment. I, I love that because I've learned that because I hated to be judged you know, because like, mm. I don't fit in. And, and I've learned that judgment is based on the person's belief and they're not really judging me. They're judging a part of themselves based on their belief. And so now people judge me outwardly and some, like some of my friends, like, oh, how are you not upset? I said, I'm not upset because I understand where they're coming from. They're not judging me. They're, they have a belief and I don't meet that belief. So it has nothing to do with me, but that took a long time. Yeah. And that's, that's what we call in, at least in part, like projection, right? Like right. people have a projected notion, like an idea of how things should be. And they use that lens in which they like interrelate with the world. And if you're not incongruent with how they see things, then that's when they're going to cast the judgment. But to me, they're really judging. You're right. Like they're judging themselves because there's something in that behavior that probably they relate to that they're trying to reject as okay. well. Totally. I'm going to use this example. Um, I remember I was on the soccer field, which I would be, I was one of those moms. I'd show up at the freaking park with my heels because I had to go to work. And I'm sure they're <laughs> like, what the hell's wrong with this lady? 
but there, here's an example. I know. So here's an example of um, a time I was in judgment and everyone around me was too. So one of the moms came in um, like these stiletto uh, knee high boots to the soccer game. And I could hear the other moms and, you know, like what, the, you know, and then I did it too. And I stopped for a minute. I'm like, okay, Grace, like, stop. It's not about you. It's not about her. It's about you. What is about that's making you uncomfortable? Because good for her for rocking it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, like rock it. I'd, I'd be, you know, like I'd be embarrassed. Well, the judgment was when a lady shows up like decked out and like that to that type of event, then she's, she's, you know, I'm just going to say it. She's a hoe. Oh, wow. That, but that was in my, in our community, in our circle. And I was like, is that true? No, it's not. That's your own fucking belief. You know what? Good for her. Mm-hmm. Good for her. She's comfortable enough in her own skin to show up the way she wants to and more power to her. So it wasn't even, we weren't judging her. We were judging our own shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were working out of a social construct of like defining how women should be and what should right. women should wear and what women should do is that it goes always goes back to that social construct it wasn't even within that community it was messages that you got from broader society that right. was dictating how you saw that person right right and i remember a message um growing up that if a woman took care of herself and she showed up uh, presentable and she had her hair and makeup done then they would call her you know whatever Mm-hmm. And that's not true. It was just a uh, limiting bullshit belief created to keep other people feeling safe. Yeah. We, we I, I think this idea of trying to be comfortable is killing our souls in society. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Think about anything. Like, like I think about anything in life, right? Like where you're at right now, like just with the coaching, right? There were Saturdays you had to give up where you could have done something fun, you know, and you had to go and learn, you had to study, you had, there was a lot of uncomfortable moments in the process to get to where you are, right? For me, the same thing. It was years and years of like test and essay and comprehensive exam and practice. It was just years of really strenuous, complex, challenging moments. And yet, without the discomfort, I wouldn't have learned and gotten to where I am, right? What I'm hearing you say is the discomfort comes, can come in the form of commitment and discipline, commitment and um, dedication. So if Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I I would have rather go play, Mm -hmm. but because I wanted to get where I wanted to go, I was uncomfortable and I stayed committed to the process. Yes, commitment, but I would also say just in anything in life, think about like even friendships, like real friendships take work and yeah. sacrifice and dedication and you have to have uncomfortable, con- if you want a true, deep, meaningful relationship, whether it be romantic or whether it be with your family or whether it be with your friends, it really is about having uncomfortable conversations because I can't, I'm not, I can't read your mind. You can't read my mind. So communication is only the channel to do that. And sometimes we have to talk about icky things to get to the place of depth and connection. Yeah. So I heard this saying, and I always mess it up, but the depth of your relationships are as deep as the most uncomfortable conversations. I totally screwed that up. No, no, no. I get, I follow you. Right. And they, and they used to say to like, part of why, like when I was kind of 
through my training, it was like, you can only take your patient as far as you're willing to go yourself, right? You know, so whatever life you want, whatever life you're desiring, whatever life your soul is calling you towards, that means you have to lean in and leaning in is uncomfortable. It's easier to run, it's easier to escape, it's easier to hide, it's easier to suppress. You know, all those things, at least on the surface, it's easier in the long run, no, right? Well, I mean, this, I could be wrong, but statistics say that 98% of people, they, they suppress, they run Mm -hmm. because it's easier. It is, it's hard to dig down because it's scary and it's, and you're going to sit in the the dark nights of the soul for a little while. Mm. Um, But I always know when I'm going through a dark night of the soul, it's because I'm leveling up to something else. I'm shedding an older part of me to step into a greater part of me, which is scary because sometimes we lose people around us that we love, not lose them, but you, you go on to a different level and you, you start losing, you know, people that you, you care about. I mean, they're, they're not gone, but the relationship changes. It, it does. And I, I've really contended with this because I've sort of been and take made a lot of choices in my life and gone down a lot of different roads that no one can understand or not, I should say no one, I don't like absolutes. Like a lot of people that I, I, I knew and I was close to what weren't ex- entirely in the know or understanding of my experience. And so it's interesting as I've sort of grown into different directions, I've sort of accepted this. I've accepted there's parts of me that some people can understand and that's wonderful and I have those spaces. I can't expect everyone to understand all parts of me, I, you know? And so to, to come up with a, a place of where can you, you know, I, a person is at a certain place and I can love them and accept them for who they are instead of fighting for them to understand, well, don't you get this part of me? And what, why don't you understand? And why don't you accept this? I'm not gonna do that anymore. I accept and love you where you're at. And I honor that. And that has made me more free, mm-hmm. you know? Crystal, I really needed to hear that this morning. Although I'm so aware of that and then I do practice it because I would beat myself or had my head on the wall because like I want them to be here at, at this place with me. The mo- you're right. The most freeing thing you can do for yourself is accept the people you love exactly where they are mm-hmm. and honor them. Mm-hmm. And the relationship will flourish in the way it's meant to and not the, in the way that we want it to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. Yes. Like, again, it's a matter of, you know, like we have that space to, to reframe how we see all of this, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, do I wish that sort of, you know, I, all aspects of me just could be understood readily by everyone. Yeah. Everyone does like, right. It's part of that desire to, you know, that social connectivity and that sense of belonging and all of that. And that's just not the way the world works, right? Like it, everyone, even, even some of the people that do understand me at moments of their life, they're so entrenched in their own pain that they can't yes. be what I need them to be. And I love that because that's where things, you know, we always take things, well, we used to, I used to take things personal. Now I understand everyone's, like you said, is entrenched in their own mind, in their own pain. Mm-hmm. And now I have compassion because it's not about me. It's not that they didn't show up for me. If they can't show up for themselves, how are they going to show up for me? Exactly. 
best thing I can do is just send love and, and be compassionate. Yeah. And so it's, it, it goes back to this thing that it's, it really is our own inner work because otherwise we're just going to be these open wounds, constantly getting hurt by everyone and everything in our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of turning inward to sort of get that sense of like, Hey, we have the power. And this is where I feel like there is no limitation, right? We have the power that no matter what happens to us or no matter where people are at, or no matter, like, you know, if we have that piece of us where we're, we're doing the work and we can have space and we can sort of reframe or rethink in a way that's going to be healthier for us as opposed to detrimental. And instead of weighing us down, it brings us up. Like, I think that's where we, we like, can benefit, uh, benefit everyone. Because I, I do think we're open wounds. Like, I mean, look at the way society is right now. It's- well, Yeah, it's a big open wound. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the wound has to get open to start healing. True, but I feel like people need the knowledge that they're wounded in the first place. And that's what people don't want to accept. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, that's the hard one. That's where you have to accept them where they at where they are at with love yeah. and compassion, which is not always easy. And sometimes you just have to love them from a distance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, love, love is love can come in many forms. Again, that's another thing. Like what is love? How do you express it? How do you define it? How do you understand it? How do you show it? I mean, there are no limitations to that. So loving at a distance may for someone else be like, oh, that's not real. It's absolutely love. Absolutely. Absolutely love. I love all of this. <laughs> Me too. So this if you could, I mean, I could, we can talk for hours. I will definitely have you on because we, we could talk about the five love languages and love. That could, that could be another hour. Oh, for sure. So what is one thing that you could leave our audience with? If someone now has the awareness, like, okay, now I have this awareness that there is some deeper work I need to do. What, what is one thing, where's one place you would recommend them to start? You know, I think this sort of falls in line. There's many ways I can answer this, but I think this falls in line with sort of thematically what we've been talking about. Don't run, mm. don't run. We're always running from our emotions. We're running from situations. We're running from people. Don't run, you know? There's that space, be in that space, lean in. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel the feels. You know, it's okay because in the end, that's going to benefit your life. It may not seem that way because it's scary, but like, it's only scary because it's the unknown. Once you start to know and familiarize yourself with yourself, it's the most beautiful thing and honorable thing you could ever do. Mm, that was beautiful, Crystal. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I love that. Thank you so much for being here with me today. That was amazing. It flew by. It felt like five minutes. I, I'm shocked to see the time right now. <laughs> like it, what? It totally flew by. And thank you all of you for joining us today. If you have any questions, you can reach out to Crystal. I'll leave her information below or to me. And again, we're just so grateful to have you here. And I hope this conversation today brought you some nuggets of wisdom. Until next time, keep it real and have a fabulous day. Take care. Hey, love. Thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. 
part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.